0: I want to go to there.
1: Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie
2: doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
1: Are we having fun yet?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Yes.
1: 30 Hellens agree.
0: Never mind. Maybe the
2: dingo ate your baby, huh? It's a cunning plan, actually.
0: Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes to the hearts, Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
2: I'm going through changes. <laughs> well, we all are, aren't we? <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we. there will be a bit of an announcement next week.
2: Uh, well, well, why don't we just, you know, let's just do all our announcements this week. Let's just get it over with. Let's rip the Band-Aid.
0: Okay. Uh, do you, you want to go first?
2: You go first. I was,
0: okay. Well, uh, I found out this past weekend I will be contributing at the AV Club in the coming months. Oh, snap! So that that's fun. Uh, and I will, of course, tweet all that out when once that starts going. But it's a new adventure for me. Uh, so that's let's, my news. Let's
2: let's leave a pause for some audience applause right about here.
0: <laughs> and, there uh, we go. And then, uh, Simon, what's your news?
2: In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going north. Uh, I, I should say northwest, significantly northwest, for three months in a place that may or may not have any internet. So I will not be able to uh, co-host this or any other podcasts for... Basically the entire summer and possibly longer depending on how my living situation shakes out after that. So I I will be uh, at at least temporarily stepping down as co-host of this podcast.
0: You'll be taking a sabbatical, a hiatus, as it were.
2: You may, uh, I, I guess you could call it that.
0: <laughs> and uh, we will have a new guest co-host for the summer uh, over, over that time, and uh, you guys will meet him in a couple weeks. We have one more episode of Simon after this week, so if you guys have any messages of, uh, of uh, support for, for, for Simon, get them in this week. We would love to play some some, especially if you want to send an MP3. Yeah, with your your thoughts on, on on Simon's new adventure, do do you want to say the specifics of your new adventure so that we can all mock you?
2: Uh, mock me? All right, fine. Uh, I think I'm you're gonna... crazy.
0: I mean, I support you, and I think it's you know great that you're excited about this, but I think you're crazy.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm well, and there's also you know keep in mind I could get out there and then totally crap out and have to come back, but uh, I'm gonna be doing some tree planting for uh for a period of no less than three months uh and it's very far away and i'll be i'll anyway i'm going to be spending at least half that time in a bush camp so it's going to it's going to be pretty wild
0: for those uh americans like myself who don't know what that means that means you're you're planting like how many trees every day
2: uh well that depend <laughs> this that's actually a, a longer question than you intended to ask but ideally you're planting thousands a day
0: yes between i i saw somewhere between 2 and 6000 trees every day
2: Oh my God! I've never heard of anyone planting six thousand, but yes, uh, it's piecework, so you're so you're supposed to want to plant as much as you can.
0: So, it, but it will be a, a brand new adventure for you, and I know you're excited, and uh, I, I look forward to to hearing stories. I, if anything, I am certain there will be stories at the end of the summer.
2: <laughs> I think there'll be stories well before then.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but yes, uh, with the with the news and announcements. Out of the way, uh, we we do have a a fun show for you guys. We'll be talking with our editor-in-chief of Sound on Sight, Ricky D, at the end of the podcast about Queer as Folk, the UK series. We had a lot of fun talking with Rick about that, and we uh, also had a lot of fun talking with you guys this week. We got an email from Carl, who says, uh, Kate and Simon, about the question of the week, week, which was who should... Take over for Letterman, it's since been confirmed that it will be Stephen Colbert, but our question was, who would you like to see? Carl says, I would tune in every night to watch Mass Mickelson and interview celebrities and trade cooking tips. I do think Louis C.K. would be awesome as well if he was invested in it. Also, he says, now that so much has happened to this point in Hannibal, do you think it has enhanced the season, knowing that Crawford and Hannibal have the fight in the kitchen that we saw at the, at the beginning of the season, of course? It was a nice way to jumpstart the season, but now I think it takes away from the plot, knowing that it will happen. Though I was happy they deviated with, you know, character... I'm gonna leave that blank in case anybody here is a little behind on Hannibal. Uh, now it seems more things may be up for grabs. Minor complaint though, as I have really enjoyed the season. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on our Sound of Sight Hannibal podcast. For me, it's helpful knowing what happened. You know, the 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 start of season jump forward because it it helps counteract the Jack is being an idiot <laughs> or, or the police are being an idiot for not seeing through Hannibal thing because we know it will come is that the same for you or is it uh is, is it not working for you um
2: i don't know uh, we'll have to wait and see i guess I, I i my general uh level of investment general level of investment is kind of um on a on a low ebb at the moment but i i would say that having that fight ha- happen at the start is affecting my patience levels with uh, everyone's Inability to catch up to Hannibal, which, anyway, we'll get there when we talk about Hannibal a little bit later, but I can see both sides. I don't think it's, it, it was, it was a good way for them to open the season with some buzz, uh, which I think was important for them because uh, nobody watches Hannibal.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Uh, We also heard from Swan Ronson about Mindy Project, who says, I very much have noticed that Mindy has steadily removed all-female competition on the show and surrounded herself with a bunch of charismatic and handsome men who essentially fight over her while she's all, who, little old me? Over the course of the series, I've gone from viewing Mindy Kaling as an intelligent, mature person who affects a shallow persona to just accepting that, that, no, she really just is that shallow. That doesn't seem like that's a great approach swan ronson uh because we have no idea what mindy Kaling is like uh i would never go that far with it i would say that it is frustrating and we'll talk i'll talk a little bit about this when we talk about the comedies because there they are one of the episodes this week was very upfront with the whole there are no women uh element but um but but i don't know i i that is you know it's it's increasingly frustrating for me simon do you have any thoughts on that
2: uh, I mean, not particularly. I've never been a fan of the Mindy Project. Um, not for that specific reason, but just because I I never thought that it was able to reconcile, uh, sort of the more interesting aspects of Mindy Kaling's voice with the contrivances of the format. Which I know that you're a you're a huge fan of that dynamic. For me, it never really coalesced.
0: Yeah. So, it, so it has less to do with that than the other issues for you with the show. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. James says, uh, after hearing you guys rave about Inside Amy Schumer, I thought I'd check it out and it's fantastic and I love it. Thank you. Thank you, James, for letting us know. Good. Oh, it's great. It's always wonderful to hear, you know, the people are checking out the shows that we that we enjoy and that we want to see succeed. Uh Mario says, among other things, I saw the first two episodes of Silicon Valley, episode two drew me in more than episode one. Uh holding back from screening too far ahead, glad Selena's back. Yeah, Mario gets screeners from HBO and I'm jealous. Of you, Mario, because I don't. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed episode two more than episode one, and that may be reflected when we get uh, by myself when we get to our weekend comedy also talked about several different shows with you guys talked about Hannibal with a bunch of you guys including Noel who says Hannibal's plastic suit is magic magic I say and yes every time I see that plastic suit now Noel I think of you just so you know Um, Ken says Nick's conversation in the car with Monroe over the phone on Grimm was priceless it was a lot of fun I enjoyed Grimm this week talked about Moonboy with Stephanie talked about Orphan Black with Beth talked about Doctor Who with Jordan Uh, talked about Incursion remember that show with Sterling and Ivy West. Oh,
2: incursion! <sighs> ah.
0: I want that show to happen so much, even though I nobody's talked about it like at all for almost a year now.
2: Well, I, I I've been looking at I, it, prompted me to look at Stephen Denight's Twitter account, and he has mentioned it recently, just as a thing that he's still waiting to hear about himself. So it's not dead yet.
0: Yay! Hopefully, that is something that I, I'm that's I'm holding out a slim thread of hope for some sort of a Comic Con. News announcement with Incursion, that would be nice. Um, and then lastly, I talked about Ebert Fest with Aaron, and I wanted to mention that because I will be at Ebert Fest, which those of you who don't know, it's the it's Roger Ebert's Overlooked Film Festival that happens. Uh, it'll be happening next week, from Wednesday till Sunday, in Champaign, Illinois. And so I'll be down there uh, covering it for Sound On Site and enjoying the festival. And if you're going to be there, drop me a line. And if you are in anywhere in that vicinity and you're not attending Ebert Fest, what is what what why how? It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, would you ever come down uh, to Ebert Fest if you weren't heading off to the middle of the forest, sir?
2: Oh, th- there are there are many things that I would do if I had the time and the money, but sadly, we only exist in this in this particular temporal plane.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we uh, have, like I said, we have a very full show. Lots. It's, it's all about the dramas this week, but uh, we'll take a break and come back with the comedies right after this.
1: Put your right foot forward and your left foot back and f- slide around like on a Nordic track. Move to the left, step to the right, wiggle your elbow.
0: Week in comedy. I'm going to talk briefly about the Mindy Project, Silicon Valley, and the Rick and Morty finale, and then we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on Veep and Inside Amy Schumer. First, uh, the Mindy Project had two episodes: Be Cool and Girl Crush. And I just wanted to mention it briefly because I know some of you don't watch the show, but I I can't believe they broke up Mindy and Danny in two episodes, and then they have Danny dating somebody else or chasing after somebody else in the second of these two episodes. Are you fucking kidding me? It's so frustrating because and if I th- if I actually believed that they were going to stay broken up, then I would be fine with it. But they're not. They're going to get the- try to get them back together at the end of the season and I I it's-, it's so infuriating.
2: This is what I've been saying to you since the mini project started. They're going to they're going to indulge these tropes and they're going to drag things out and these are these are not good things to be doing with a with a sitcom.
0: See, I thought, it's foolish me. I thought, oh, they they pulled the trigger at the mid-season, so the second half of the season is going to explore this couple. No, apparently not. They're going to take advantage of the uh, cliffhanger for the mid-season finale and then uh, spend two episodes on it and immediately revert back to exactly what the show was before. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. Uh, let me know what you think about Mindy Project this week. Uh, it, it was really great to see Anna Gunn pop up. But, uh, and and Girl Crush, but, but no, I just, just no, just no Mindy Project. Silicon Valley, The Cap Table, uh, the second episode I thought was more engaging than the first, not surprising, uh, given that, uh, they, they had more time. Now, we already have a sense of some of the characters from the first episode, so, you know, with the plot out of the way and everything set up with what the show's going to be, we can spend a little more time with the characters this week. Um, second episodes, as we often say, pilots are, a lot of pilots are bad, uh, most most second episodes are are actually worse, and uh, this one isn't. So that's a very good sign, and I'm very glad to see the increased presence of Zach Woods, and uh, also the. I think my favorite character this week was the whole rant that Martin Starr went on about uh, the government and uh, something about uh, the second Iranian Revolution or something. It was it was a lot of fun. I had a lot more fun with Silicon Valley this week than last week, and Rick and Morty finale I thought was nice. I liked the the balance of things doing the, the whole Titanic ridiculousness was was pretty fun and uh, uh yeah i look forward to checking in with it next season there's still elements of the show that are annoying to me and uh, i think the vocal ticks are not insignificant one of those but if they deer into the parts of the show that it seems like they're emphasizing more in the second half of the, of the season as opposed to the first half i will continue to be a happy camper and i know a lot of people are really on board with Rick and Morty. So I'm glad to see it's found an audience. And if nothing else, it has features a lot of really creative animation and uh, and and uh, inventive sort of uh, sci-fi elements that I always appreciate. Glad that uh, people are excited about Rick and Morty.
2: And I still think it's the version of community that actually works. Suck at community. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm not talking about community this week. We'll talk about that next week when we get part two of their finale. Let's talk about Veep the choice. And uh, Veep has remained very much a political really, for a political show to this point. They haven't really given any of Selena's positions on anything. Uh, that changes this week. As soon as you have her running for, for president, she's going to actually have to have opinions on things. And that's the central conflict this week. What did you think?
2: Does it change, though? Because it seems like they, and to the show's credit, it seems like they bend over backwards to not have to have her say anything. At the end of the episode, she really doesn't take a substantive stance. I mean, the closest that she comes is in private when she says something about get the government out of my snatch, which is a great moment. And you do get the sense it's how she actually feels, but she, there is no one involved in the process who is principled enough to take a a real stand. The whole, the whole theme of the episode is how can we do anything except take a stand, which uh, I thought, you know, there's this notion that anything can be funny and, I think it, you know, there's absolutely no reason abortion can't be funny, and and you know Veep proves that.
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying the the different uh, candidates that they have thus far. I'll be interested to see if they introduce more people to that mix, or if it'll just be basically those same three throughout the season. What do you think about Gary's ambitions to move beyond being the body person?
2: Well, I don't think that's really going anywhere, and I think the, sh- the show knows that. I, I just think, in general, they're doing a fantastic job. You know, you talked about the, 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 the other candidates that we've been looking at. They've been doing a great job just sort of subtly building up that world and throwing in extra, extra relationship wrinkles just for fun, like the whole thing with Gary Cole and, and Sue and his just general weirdness. I think that's, that's a great touch to add to that character.
0: Any uh, thoughts on Jonah this week? Oh, my God. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Jonah
2: is so good. Timothy Simons is doing the Lord's work this season. I think that he he's basically stealing the show, which, oh man, that character is just so, so golden right now.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great. And, and making him a more official outsider as opposed to just a social outsider amongst the group was such a great move for them. I look forward to the different characters ways that they manage to work him into the storyline without yeah i feel like that could easily become strained so that will require creativity from them but i trust i trust these writers to, to make it work any other thoughts on Veep or shall we move on to uh inside amy schumer
2: uh let's do that definitely a much more solid outing than i mean i don't think anything this week got to me quite as much as the paul giamatti is god thing but it was definitely way more consistent across the board
0: I had I had so much fun with this uh, episode, especially the sketch everybody's been talking about—the "I'm so bad" sketch that gives the episode its title. As someone who has tried to start eating more healthfully and vegetables, and not having so so many uh, snacks and all that sort of thing, the the uh, "I'm bad" or "this food is bad" or whatever conversation has come up for me, I, and I've always fought against that notion of food being good and food being bad. That is so pervasive. Amongst uh, segments of our population, and uh, so I had an extra enjoyment of that of that sketch. Did you have a, a favorite sketch this week?
2: I mean, I liked the essentially Call of Duty bit at least as much. Uh, it. it... I think by by necessity it didn't have a great big punchline but I thought as a bit of social satire that was actually really funny uh it pretty much knocked it out of the park.
0: Yeah, that was my other favorite sketch. When I watched the, the first two episodes uh, a couple weeks ago to to preview the season, I everybody was raving about the premiere and I was like, uh, "Yeah, saw there's some good stuff in there. Don't get me wrong, I love the show, but but really for me it was about the that one two punch of of the the female character video game, uh, in the army, and uh, then of course the food scene that I already referenced. Uh, do we have any other sketches we want to mention, or uh, sh- are we just mostly excited about what we know is coming next week with a certain Josh Charles?
2: A certain, I'm definitely excited for that. I don't know. I I just think that Schumer and and her uh, and her writing team are finding little tiny avenues of society to make fun of that other people haven't really thought of yet that's sort of where the show is excelling right now
0: yeah the uh, the poker game was good too and discussion of uh, objectification of women and uh, and and yes
2: I'll, much as I never ever ever ever. Ever, ever, ever need to see Zach Braff on my TV. Uh, that was a good sketch.
0: Yeah, and uh, th- there's some there's some good stuff coming next week as well. And we we know Josh Charles is going to pop up. That's been heavily promoted. But there's also a sketch that I know we will have fun talking about. Uh, all I'll say is lady. and I'll leave it there. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so th- so what wins your week in comedy this week?
2: I'll do, um, I'm actually going to give it to V, but Amy Schumer's right behind it.
0: Yeah, and um, I'll get I'll 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 mimic that. I'll give it to to Veep with a close you know close second to to Inside Amy Schumer. We'll be right back with our week in reality and genre. and genre. I'll spend a couple minutes on The Amazing Race, and then we'll talk about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Grimm, Hannibal, and Game of Thrones. I would love to be previewing Orphan, C- Orphan Black Season 2, but unfortunately I was not able to get screened for that. Uh, Orphan Black Season 2 is starting up this week. I will be reviewing it at Sound On Sight, and I can't wait. Which clone are you most excited to see back? It's gotta be Allison, right?
2: Uh, you know what? I'm just hope- I'm- I'm hoping for some new ones. I, I know that they-, they can only stretch they literally only have one uh, Tatiana Maslany, but I would I would like some new ones.
0: Okay, we'll see what we'll have to wait to see what comes up next. I know there are some other cast additions or changes that we're looking forward to with that amazing race. I I thought was fun. I just had to mention it because uh, I, it's either Leo or Jamal, one of the Afghanimals this week, talks about uh, they're doing their gladiatorial uh uh combat challenge and he talks about he mentions i watched all four seasons of spartacus i was like damn it are you trying to make me like you the F- animals
2: ooh that is deadly
0: that is but uh, i i like this episode i had fun with the challenges and you know when they had the uh, roman holiday i may not be the biggest fan in the world of that movie compared to i feel like other people love it in a way that i just really enjoy it i don't love it with every fiber of my being but I just got a silly grin on my face when they had the, the the stand-ins for those characters on the steps on the scooter and everything it just you know brought a smile to my face so I I had fun with this episode of the amazing race I'm still squarely in the middle of the pool uh Bob is just he's just smoking it <laughs> he's got 60 points the next person has 47 and I'm back in the 30s so uh yeah I got to start gaining on Bob there. Let's move on to our week in genre. And I want to first say uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. turn, turn, turn. This, of course, is tied in very significantly with a certain uh, Captain America 2, which may have had a huge shakeup in S.H.I.E.L.D. that had to affect the TV show. I think it's really interesting that they knew this was going to be the direction they went with the Captain America series. And yet they and so therefore they knew this was what was gonna have to happen with the Shield T V series. It's uh yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting development. I think it's you know, I watched the episode and then that made me want to go see Captain America in theaters as opposed to just waiting for the the movie to come out on on DVD like I did for Thor, but or Thor two that is. But um I you know, the, the shakeups I think are really positive. It's it's going to be a good change for the show, whether or not It is what it seems like it is. I'm trying to keep the spoiler free in case people don't have the M4A version um, of the podcast. But uh, whether or not that actually is what we think it is or if it's all a double bluff, I am not sure. I don't know if the show is willing to commit to what it seems like they do at the end of the episode. But um, I hope they are. And I look forward to... To what comes next? I think this this it significantly changes the show. It adds a whole level of dramatic urgency and stakes. Uh, really, it, it was they needed something like this to happen, and so I'm looking forward to what happens next with Agents of Shield in a way that I haven't been all season.
2: You, you know what? I have no interest in Captain America two or in Agents of Shield, but from what I know about the cinematic Marvel universe, I would be shocked if the show commits to a change on the level that you describe that has the implications that you describe i would be uh, doubly shocked if five episodes from now we're not back to just utter cardboard mediocrity but you know that's me
0: We'll see. I wanted to also mention Grimm, The Law of Sacrifice. My review for this one, as well as part one of this two-parter uh, from last week, is up at Sound On Sight. And I had a lot of fun with this two-parter. I always love when they let the women shine. And th- that's the thing that Grimm does really, really well. All its female characters are interesting, well-developed, well-rounded, independent, uh, strong of body, mind, and character. And I, I very much enjoyed enjoyed this Uh, conclusion to that storyline. I like that Baby Pink Eyes is apparently out of the equation for now at least, and that Adelind is back on the warpath uh, there should be fun things coming for the end of the season. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, let's move on, though, directly to Hannibal Yakimono, Our Sound on Sight Hannibal podcast, This Is Our Design, is up in your Televerse feed if you subscribe in iTunes. Otherwise, you can find it at Sound on Sight. That's, of course, myself and my co-host for that, Sean Coletti. What did you think, Simon, of Hannibal this week? My big
2: takeaway from this episode, honestly, is Anna Chlumsky is amazing.
0: Isn't I she, though? She, She's great.
2: She does a, a really stellar job injecting, uh, I mean, I think what Hannibal uh, too frequently lacks for me is humanity. And by that, I mean believable humanity. And she brought some believable humanity to a show that is, by its very nature, utterly preposterous 100% of the time. And that's really, really hard. And that's a function of, uh, sort of a function of good writing and good directing, but it's mostly a function of good acting. And uh, her performance is just amazing throughout, especially considering, uh, you know, it's there are so many scenes that are, you know, effects reliant given her fake prosthesis, etc. But beyond that, I thought it was yeah, okay. I I've I've yet to turn the corner where I'm back to loving Hannibal, but uh, I I that was honestly the Chlumsky thing was my was my major takeaway. If they can manage to inject a little bit more of that genuine emotion into these episodes. Uh, maybe I'll get invested again. But that, to me, was an unfortunate rarity.
0: You're a crazy person, and I'm loving this season. But I, I absolutely agree with you about Anna Chomsky and the, just the physicality of her performance at the end of the episode. It's obviously a different, very different situation than the end of something like Captain Phillips, but it had that same sort of visceral quality to her performance that I absolutely bought. Um, and and I really, I really enjoyed that, I mean, over the entire episode, of course, but... But the way that that comes together at the end was also really nice. I love the the staging of that final shot, too. Uh, just the, just, it was really, it was very well conceived, written, and performed. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm way more on the Hannibal bandwagon than it sounds like you are right now. Uh, Game of Thrones. I knew what was coming. I've read the books. You didn't. Were you surprised by The Lion and the Rose? Uh,
2: actually, I did know what was coming because uh, I found out just before it happened because that's what happens on the internet. But, I uh, didn't didn't really make a huge difference to me, honestly. I think killing Joffrey is kind of stupid. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? I think it's a bad idea. I uh, it wasn't. Uh, I think had I not known about it, uh, I still would not have been terribly shocked in the context of the episode because it's so heavily foreshadowed over and over and over. I feel like we had four scenes with Lady Olenna being like, "It would be really bad if he died." <laughs> I mean, she didn't go out and say it like that, but especially knowing it was coming, it it, it felt I, I don't know if I would have felt differently if I didn't know, but it really felt like they were there was about 18,000 winks over the course of the episode, which we really didn't get in uh, in the reigns of Casimir last season. But I don't know if it's smart to kill off Joffrey, because to me, he's the scariest character. He is uh, an embodiment of unchecked power with the you know sort of rambunctious, unpredictable energy of a toddler. So you take that chaotic element away, and I'm not sure that there's another evil there that's as compelling. I mean, I guess Melisandre is similarly sort of unpredictable in terms of what she can do, but I really don't find her interesting as a character, or anyone in that setting, really. So, yeah, not convinced it's a good storytelling move, but you know more about what's coming than I do.
0: Well, my my only thing with that would be... And of course this is not reliant. There's no spoilers based on you know what I'm saying here, but just narratively, what would be new that we could see from Joffrey that we haven't already seen. I feel like that's the character that could easily become a retread or just become the same because that's who, who he is. It could easily become the same note played over and over again.
2: Oh, I, I agree. Like I, I, I get it in that sense, but to me, Joffrey is a thorn in everyone's side. And, so it, it does make sense for them to kill it for someone to want him dead. And I, I don't expect he'll be more much next season, but to me having that sort of wild card uh, presence who has basically veto power over everything. Um, I, again, like that, that takes away a certain uh, area for dynamism uh, that I think uh, clever writers could find a lot to do with. Of course, Benioff and Weiss don't have really any freedom uh, to do new things with that other than what they've been told. So it's all very complicated.
0: Any thoughts on Melisandre, on Bran, on uh, uh, Oberyn this week? Any other characters you wanted to to mention? Or or is that your main takeaway?
2: Does anyone care about Bran?
0: I do. I like Bran.
2: I feel like, I don't know, just every single time we cut away to Bran and he has new visions, Like I feel like we've been doing that same beat with him for... I don't know, three seasons now or however long it's been that he's been on the run. And they, there are so many plot lines on the show that they just need to leave alone until they have something new to do with them. Like Danny, like Bran, like the, uh, you know, North of the wall, like Melisandra. There's just, you know, occasionally there'll be a, a little moment of interest, but I have no idea why we got those scenes with Melisandra this week.
0: Okay. And I will, uh, not respond. So <laughs> what wins your week in uh genre?
2: Oh, um, I mean, I'll I'll give it to Game of Thrones for giving me the image of, uh, of Joffrey dying horribly. I would have liked maybe 20 more minutes of it, uh, like, just for him to keep deteriorating and maybe, like, have his skin bubble up a little more or, like, some eyes come out of sockets. I read somewhere someone was saying that the scene was designed to make you regret wanting that so badly by the time it was over because it was so ugly. I don't think it worked in that case because I just wanted it to get a lot worse.
0: Yeah, I, it didn't make me regret wanting him to die at all. I, it was kind of just enjoying how horrible it was. Uh, so Yeah, 100%. But I mean, I could see how, you know, he's dying in his mother's arms and she's upset. I could just undersee, see how people who care about Cersei and or Jaime are upset. I could see it, but you know, fair enough. Um, this week I will give it to—I'm going to I'm gonna give it to Hannibal, with the uh, honorable mention to to Game of Thrones and also to Shield. But uh, yeah, i am get—I'm giving it to Hannibal. I'm still way more on board with this season than you are. Uh, we'll take a break and come back with our very full week in drama. This week in drama, we I will preview the new ABC series Black Box, and then we'll talk a bit about the Justified finale, Restitution, as well as The Americans, Parenthood, The Good Wife, and, of course, the premiere of Mad Men Season 7. First, Black Box, which will be starting up this week on ABC. This is a procedural basically a little bit of of overlapping character as well but it's going to be a mostly a case of the week kind of show about a doctor who specializes in in the brain and that's why it's called black box because that's a term that's a term for the brain because the information goes in and it comes out but they we still don't really understand the brain. The creator, Amy Holden Jones, is the daughter, actually, of a neuroscientist, uh, so who, so, so she has firsthand experience with a character like our lead, Catherine Black, who is a brilliant neuroscientist, but also has uh, um, bipolar. She is bipolar, I should say, and um, and and so it, watching that, you know, how the, how the one thing relates to the other, and trying to understand the the brain and which parts of make a person a person is is Catherine Black or Dr. Catherine Black. Is she herself when she's on her meds or is she herself when she's off her meds? You know, there's interesting things that they're playing with here and clearly the creator has personal experience that she's able to draw in. There's some elements here. I've seen three episodes. I've seen um the first you know, a couple early episodes and one of the later episodes uh of the of the early part of the season that is there, there are elements here that work really well. I think the the lead is is really good. Kelly Riley is her name. Unfortunately, they should have just made the character not American because her accent is hugely distracting. Because it just it is not consistent at all, and it's it it puts up this this level of disconnect between the character and and the you know the the audience. And it's just it, I want usually ac- accent work like that doesn't bother me too much if it's not quite right, but but this one, it was very distracting for me. The trouble is that they have some really great stuff with with Kelly Riley, and her. she has a psychiatrist uh, played by Vanessa Redgrave. Of course, Vanessa Redgrave is amazing. That's news to no one. Um, but then there also is just way too much c- cliched and very familiar and tired, tired storytelling. Uh, will it surprise you, Simon, to hear that there is a new hotshot neurosurgeon? who who lives for surgery and uh has sex with all the nurses and uh and may or may not end up having uh a, a, some sort of a connection with our doctor even though she she has a steady boyfriend.
2: Uh...
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's some really unfortunate stuff in here as well as some, you know but I do want to emphasize that there I can see what the really good version of this show is. Unfortunately, in the episodes i've seen there's just there's too much that falls into that tired and already very well trod ground of the the uh, the network drama procedural you know medical procedural and it's just really unfortunate each episode also sort of it's like they they solve capgrass like they don't come up with a solution or a cure for it obviously this is capgrass syndrome or delusion is where someone believes that somebody that they love has been replaced with an identical imposter and uh and, it's, and it's, it it's has to do with a disconnect in the brain and uh between memories and and visual cortex or something like that and they come up with a solution in the course of the episodes like well we can't stop it from for a patient from having Capgras syndrome, but we can come up with a workaround. It's like, are you kidding me? You can't do something like that every week. There, it's it just gets less and less satisfying every time, and more and more pat every time they do something like that. And there, there's you know, because they want there to be a happy ending. And for if you have Capgras. There isn't a really a happy ending for the loved one of the of the person suffering from that. So, you know, there's there's some really interesting stuff here. But unfortunately, though, as a whole, I would have to say viewers should you know, should pass. You know, check it out. See what you think. But I mean, I would pass. I'm not going to be making time for it. There's way too many other good shows.
2: Yeah, that that sounds awful, to be honest. That sounds like a nightmare. Also, the title of the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, her name is Black, and yeah, fair enough. Let's talk, though, of the Justified finale, Restitution. Oh, man, I don't want to not have Justified in contention, but I already know this this season of Justified is not going to be anywhere near contention for my top ten of the year, and it makes me sad.
2: Yeah, I... uh... I've been cautiously optimistic throughout most of my recaps slash reviews on the site. And um, my, my, the first line of my review of the finale was, this is what I get for cautious optimism. It wasn't a terrible finale. I don't think, uh, I think that this has been the line everyone said, and I think it's more or less correct. The way it sets up the final season, I think has a lot of promise. Uh, but the way that it wraps up the stuff from this season is a little bit on the sorry side. The, uh, I think, was it just me or did we get another example of unfortunate sibling chemistry this week?
0: Yeah, I wasn't seeing that. Uh, I, I have issues, issues with that, but uh, it, has, it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with what the writers have done to Wendy in the past three weeks. I feel yeah. like it's a completely different character and it's in a case where they took this really interesting, dynamic, complicated character and just made her the weak woman. In a way well, that's just really disappointing.
2: I I understand that after, you know, she gets you know really badly beaten, you know, that she might take that you know that affects you, that traumatizes you, that uh, that can change the way you carry yourself. Uh, they, they didn't. Pre- I think they, they they could have presented that in an interesting way, and they didn't because there just wasn't enough screen time, and that just wasn't where they decided to place their attention. Uh, and that's sort of that's sort of the, the 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 theme of this season is you know theoretically interesting ideas uh hampered by poor execution or lackluster execution um the i mean everything that happened with boyd this season is such a miss i think that's actually a, a bigger problem than the stuff with the crows there was he did not he, he, i don't think he got a single a uh, really compelling beat to play around with it's a testament to walton goggins that his scenes are always watchable but just the way he got himself out of his scrapes this week were so lazy
0: yeah the i mean this there are there are many issues with this season of justified and some have pointed to the crows i really don't think the issue is the crows i think unfortunately they haven't responded as anywhere near as adeptly as they usually do to changes that they weren't necessarily expecting they haven't been as flexible as uh or or as readily adaptable as as some of the other seasons have been but it's more for me about a lack of narrative focus for the season what has the season been about and what what was the through line that we were supposed to be following because it just seems like a lot of digressions and diversions I, they introduce this really interesting character in Mexico uh, that I, I always enjoy the performer I had forgotten that he was Ando on heroes the actor was because he's so good at justified um, and then we don't really hear from or see him again and this whole diversion in Mexico ends up being mostly three episodes of of what of why why did we watch that and then we have everything with Ava in, in jail which again If they were just going to get her out at the end of the season, and they were going to get her out in such an obvious way, if I'm Boyd, there's no possible way. I'm just like, oh, okay, Ava's out. I'm sure that she just, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, you know, she was released, you know, the government's heart, she was released from prison. I mean the 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 this has been a season of just sort of filling time and not really knowing what any of the characters' journeys were supposed to be and the biggest one for me all season with that is not even Ava is as as frustrating as that arc has been it's it's Raylan what was Raylan's journey this season
2: which I mean the whole thing if I was gonna mount a defense of this season which I'm not really gonna do uh but if I was going to I'd bring up a few things one I think they had more behind the scenes trouble this season than any previous and yes they're usually very nimble and uh, they're usually very good at readjusting to that but there were just so many actors who were either time limited or left the show or got snapped up for something else and i think at a certain point they just had to throw their hands up and abandon a lot of things or just not do as much with those things uh as they wanted to and that must be immensely frustrating for them but some of those changes i think they they handled uh reasonably well things considered and other things just seemed really awkward. The, the fact that we got only two appearances by Natalie Z and they were both via Skype was just a, just transparently awful even if they theoretically made sense with the character. But, I, you know, the whole season, it felt like half a season weirdly. Like, this was for, you know, we had six or seven episodes that actually ran long for Justified and yet the whole thing just feels really incomplete. Um, you know, the way Graham Yost described it was he's considering this last season coming up uh, next year, as being the year of uh, one more thing before I go, and that's uh, which is I, I like that he has a, a clear notion of, of where they're headed, but the the whole season had kind of a throat clearing quality of we're gonna kill roughly two dozen supporting characters <laughs> or ancillary characters, which is I which I actually think was a good move overall, uh, you know, so that we can have a relatively clear deck for this last season. Uh, and that's a good thing for them to do. Uh, just not necessarily the best way for them to do it.
0: Well, and you know, we get we get to this finale and these scenes with Kendall, and we had him last week and this week. I really liked that that journey over the course of the season. All of a sudden, we have Raylan feeling like Kendall is young him, and I'm like, oh, that's a great story. That's a great, interesting development. Why wasn't that the heart of the season?
2: Yeah, I mean, anytime, literally every time they go back to, to Raylan and Fathers and Sons, it's good material. And Oliphant knows how to play that uh, really, really well. And seeing him sort of, uh, you know, his psychological handling of Kendall was really interesting. Definitely the best season, the best episodes of this finale. But you're right, they didn't choose to focus on that because they were too enamored with too many other sort of, 10 million sidebars that just seem to get in the way usually the sh- justify is really 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 good at handling at juggling a million things and maybe we've just gotten spoiled that it was so good at it for so long but um the the fact that they've really really pared things down to to just boyd Raylan, the marshals mary Steenburgen, and that's kind of it like that's that's Actually, that that's the most promising thing about about next season. I think
0: I'm not interested. I know I know I'm wrong. I, like if you're if you can be qu- quantitatively wrong and something like this, I understand everyone that I am wrong for thinking this. I'm not interested in season six. Boyd versus Raylan showdown with Ava caught in the. I I'm not interested in that. It seems like it's it, if I if you would ask me in season one, okay, what would be the predictable final season arc of this show, that's what I would have said. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Well,
2: I mean, only time will tell. Well, we'll We're going to have to see... I, I still think they've built up enough goodwill uh, that they... I mean, they've got... Th- if there were only two episodes left, I would agree with you, but there are 13 episodes left, and there's still so much they can do to complicate that dynamic. I mean, I fully expect that by episode two of next season, uh, everyone... You know, I, I feel like Ava is going to wind up in a position kind of like Nina on the Americans where she know, where she her level of knowledge is higher than everyone thinks soon afterwards. Boyd's level of knowledge becomes higher than everyone thinks, et cetera, et cetera. You can do lots of fun cat and mouse things with that. But uh, I, I you you're not wrong to be to have been somewhat dispirited by what we just saw.
0: Let's uh, let's move on though and be a little less dispirited by uh, our our next episode here, the Americans ARPANET, and we finally got our Nina episode. Uh,
2: we did, and I don't know if it was totally satisfying because I felt like it raised more questions than it answered stuff, really. Uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially considering we're only at, we're still only around the midway point of the season. Uh, this was another great episode in general. The, uh, the I feel like the visual style of the show just really went up a tick this season. I loved that whole montage we got of the explanation of what ARPANET is, and that could have been uh, such a boring, dry, dull scene on any other show, but it was actually kind of thrilling. Uh, and d- little things like that pan up to the computer room uh, were were just, I thought, perfectly executed and, and edited. Uh, and scored as well that was just uh you know that is a you know a master class how to handle that sort of thing as as i think uh, matt zeller sites put it the uh the nina stuff is theoretically interesting but i still i feel like the ultimate arc of nina this season is going to be to get rid of oleg and this episode did nothing to shake that
0: yeah i I enjoyed uh that that scene at the end because uh yeah, I, I don't know if they want us to think that she's actually invested in Oleg now, but like he says, you are a good liar, <laughs> or or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, between those two, I'm on team team Nina, and I look forward to seeing what happens next. It's sad. I'm kind of like, I'm I'm rooting for Arcady. I, I'm worried about him.
2: Oh, Arkady will be fine. I feel like Arkady will last almost the whole show. I I may regret saying that, but I, I. Uh... I, he's been already, you know, shown to be a pretty wily little bastard, and I, th- I think he'll stick around.
0: Any other thoughts on this episode? I, I always, I always like that stringy hair uh, wig that they have for uh, for Philip. Any other thoughts on on uh, the Americans, or shall we move on? Or how how many how many wigs? It's been a while since we did it. How many wigs? How many wigs? I'd give
2: it four wigs, but I, that's out of five wigs. But uh, I would also add, I think the the, the Lucia character ad, adds an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. And the, the, this this notion that that Elizabeth is faced with another kind of true believer who is, you know, I, I think younger Elizabeth would would find a lot to admire about. But now it's just, it's just kind of a thorn in her side. And that's uh, that's a really, really interesting note to throw in there uh, in the midst of what's already been a, a really fascinating season.
0: I absolutely agree. And uh, I also give it uh, four wigs. Looking forward to seeing what comes (laughs) next. Uh, The uh, Parenthood, I'm Still Here. It's our penultimate episode. Any thoughts this week?
2: Is it just me, or has this season felt 17 years long?
0: It kind of has. But, (laughs) you know, I would have enjoyed this episode even more if it had been episode, say, 14 of 15. This felt like this was the penultimate episode, no matter how long the season was. This was always going to be, you know, what the penultimate episode was. That being said, I thought there was so much here to, like, I... Oh man, Monica Potter, she just killed me.
2: Yeah, the um whenever they go back to that well, it really never stops working. I mean, it's it's almost it's been so back to being parenthood in these last couple of episodes, and I assume it will be still next week that it just makes that 6 to 7 week uh sort of dull, dismal patch in the middle of the season that much more annoying because you just felt like they could have gotten all that business done in two episodes but instead they took you know two months or three months
0: yeah no, I, I don't disagree we've said it before i try i'm trying to avoid becoming a broken record but right i yeah. absolutely uh, I, agree. I, I would
2: add that they next week they either find a way to get rid of ray romano or they make him a regular there's no there's no middle ground
0: they th- let's be honest they make him a regular if the show gets picked up that is yes he's, he's too good he's too good for them he's, to get rid of. yeah he's too of. good
2: he's he's uh, by the standards of that character he's behaved flawlessly they they, they need to keep him right. we are too invested in that character he's too good uh, that's just the way it is
0: Yeah, I have some thoughts on, on audience surrogacy and different characters I think Adam is an audience surrogate this week and as well there's several others in the conversations that should have happened five weeks ago that happened here I talk about that a little bit in my review it's up at 10 on site you can check that out uh, let's move on though to the good wife a material world and we called it
2: uh, what, what, what did we call exactly?
0: Peter, Emancipation. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, that was uh, really good. The you know a, a couple weeks ago we expressed some concern about how they were going to handle the post, uh, post will fallout, and I think they've handled it exactly as I hoped they would, which is that they're slowly getting back to more or less what it is the good wife does every week, but in a way that respects the shakeup we've just gotten. And that includes even in the midst of what's a pretty still a pretty grim episode, uh, getting what was one of the funniest things I saw all week, which is that they're continuing this, what started off as a low winter sun parody, which it still is. But come on, there was definitely some true detective in there this week.
0: There are hats, and some hats are dark, and some hats are light. Some hats look like they're light, but they're really dark. And some hats are <laughs> the striped hats. Oh my the god, striped
2: hats thing definitely seemed straight out straight out of low interest Sun, but the way they had like what seemed to be like a ritualistic murder and the camera positioning in the context of the, of that definitely seemed straight out of true detective
0: oh it was beautiful
2: so good <laughs> and and like on a metal level It feels like it's the show saying, we're on CBS and we rule, bitch.
0: (laughs) Well, it also just, yeah, I love the contrast between, you know, what is usually considered the prestige drama and The Good Wife is over here being amazing, not doing any of that stupid shit.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the way, like, this is how we handle death. This is how other shows handle death. What up? Yep. Uh, So that's... I, I just continued. I was laughing my ass off at that scene and everyone around me was very confused. But anyway, the beyond that, I, I mean, it, it was a bit of a step down from the last couple episodes, if we're being honest. The I that disagree. First, I really liked disagree. It. Yeah. I don't know. Like, for instance, that for that scene we get of Kalinda with Carrie when she's, you know, sort of going into PTSD mode was really, really effective. Getting another scene just like it two like, you know, four minutes later was much less effective. I don't know, was that just me?
0: Well, and I was okay with it because I like that it's... I think they wanted to show that it's not a, about Carrie, it's about intimacy. And so she tries I think we to... we knew that. You know, yeah, we did, but... I think we could have inferred that, but I think Kalinda needed to know that. And I and so I'm fine with that. I like, you know, it looks like they're finally coming up with something interesting for her to deal with.
2: Maybe. The um also the, I as much as I usually actually really like the stuff with David Lee and Diane that scene that showdown scene with them didn't really work for me it just the, the writing was just a little bit too I didn't like it in the preview and I didn't really like it here either
0: I think they need to get a better sense of David Lee I mean I always really enjoy that character I think they have so much fun bringing him on as the as the token Weasley lawyer guy and uh, Zach Grenier does such a great job with that performance if they're gonna have him have more motivation than just I'm cackling and enjoying my evilness (laughs) you know. They need to have a better sense of him. So like he's always felt like very much a the you know, out for himself, but also a company man kind of guy. And so to have him combating Diane like this so significantly and trying to, you know, make a power grab and all that, I need to get a better sense of that character than what they've done so far. This is also don't forget this is the character who enjoys a nice Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan cosplay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I need more of that.
2: There was definitely some good stuff this week, but there was a little bit of iffy stuff and sort of stuff that was a little bit more broad than I would have liked. Uh, I have to give a shout out said, to,
0: co- to Cocktails at the bar at the opening. I loved that scene with Alicia yes. and uh, Diane.
2: Yeah, that was great. And uh, of course, next week brings the proper return of Michael J. Fox, which I think will be good overall. Uh, and I'm glad that they waited... Uh, three weeks for that to happen because it kind of seemed like it was going to happen immediately which I was uh, not so keen on
0: yeah well we'll see what happens with it next but for now let's move on to the our our final episode in our weekend drama and that's the premiere of Mad Men Season 7 Time Zones I wasn't really you know I wasn't championing the bit for this show to come back. I was like, yeah, Mad Men's going to come back. Whatever. I, I, I mean, this is such a beautifully, wonderfully made show, but I don't care about a lot of the characters, or at least I was getting f- so frustrated with Don in the previous season that I really wasn't connecting with the show anymore. I was surprised to see just how much, just how happy I was to be spending time in this world again. What was your, uh, what was your experience with this finale? Were you really looking forward to it? I was in more or less
2: the same position as you. I mean, last season was no one's favorite. I mean, maybe it was someone's favorite, but no one we know. No one reputable. <laughs> <laughs> um, For a variety of reasons, the repetitiveness mainly. And the way we were positioned last season, as I recall, at the end of it was, if they want to go somewhere new with Don, really, then this last season could be really great. If it's just a pretense for them to do the same old shit in a slightly different configuration again, that's going to be really annoying. And I feel like the jury is kind of still out after this premiere, but uh, there's lots of encouraging signs and you're right. Like it's, it's such a great world to plunge back into when you've been away for a year. And I feel like it's, that's been the case every season as much as uh, you know, this show has its problems this, this many years in, it still has a very distinct voice. And as much as so many shows have come by down the pike since, including other AMC shows, and tried to do what it does, no one ever gets the balance quite right. And sometimes Mad Men doesn't get the balance quite right either, but there's still nothing really even remotely like it.
0: Yeah, and for me, that, that was that... Like you said, that, that question of Don, is he just going to – I I the show has burned me too many times. I don't actually believe he's going to change. Um, if he's going to change the last season is when it'll happen, yes. But still, that has been uh, – that was the reason I wasn't particularly looking forward to this. Uh, and that, you, I think you're absolutely right. The jury's still out on that. But I just love spending the time that we did here with Joan and Peggy. And to make it such a Joan and Peggy-heavy episode, I think, was really – at least for me, very successful. And, uh, I mean, we have... It also helps that with with The Return of Mad Men comes The Return of Mad Style on uh, Tom Lorenzo, their fantastic uh, analysis of the series based on the the clothing choices. So as soon as I see Joan, she's like, oh, she's in purple, that's her power color. She's going to (laughs) get a lot of stuff to do. And so, you know, having her get more involved in the account sides of things is really interesting to me. And then, you know, when we go and we, you know, have Don fly... Uh, off to the coast, and we get to spend that time with Megan. I, I I enjoy Megan know Other people aren't big on that character, but I really like Megan. And then to to see just the wonderful makeup and costuming and performance as well from Carthizer for Pete. Oh my God!
2: Oh, that was so good. The to get back to Don for a moment, though. You know, yes, the jury's still out on whether or not he's really going to change. What I do think is encouraging is is that they've altered fundamentally the structure of his life in a way that we haven't seen so far. You know, he doesn't work. He, he's unemployed as far as we can tell, um, which is interesting. He's, uh, I mean, he's certainly not employed in any official capacity. Uh, the, the idea that he has opportunities to sleep with women and he's not taking them <laughs> is, uh, has that ever happened before? I mean, yeah, real like no, really. Has that ever happened before?
0: You know, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I can't think. I can't it's, think of it. It's
2: it's not leaping to mind, and 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 by that I mean has opportunities and 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 doesn't take them not just because he's married.
0: Yeah, that's
2: true. Where like this feels like something different. Like he doesn't. He outright lies to Nev Campbell. Which <laughs> what? Anyway, he outright lies to. I feel like she's this season's Alexa B- uh, Um, outright lies to Nev Campbell just because he's just not into it anymore. Which that was the most encouraging sign I think, as as much as I did like uh, her character in that scene, even though it did feel weirdly idealized. The uh, that's probably the most interesting sign for Don going forward.
0: Yep, uh, I think that's an excellent point. I also want to mention that I loved the opening of, of the episode. Just the straight-on uh, close-up with the pitch, I thought, it was, was really great. Are there any other elements uh, to the episode that you want to make uh, sure to mention?
2: Um, I really like the music cue at the end uh, with that particular cover version. Uh, I've, I've seen other people say that uh, the Megan situation she feel, st- still feels very Sharon Tate, she's going to get murdered. I really don't think they're doing that, Uh, so maybe stop saying it. (laughs) And um, I don't know, you're you're right about Pete. Those scenes were fantastic. Uh, It being so Peggy-centric and seeing her be frustrated in a new way, I think, uh, is is a smart play. Uh, We haven't mentioned Roger, (laughs) which that stuff is really um that's interesting that's, it's fun. that's something else uh i i've some other people made the connection that it really seems like uh his daughter is going through an al-anon type process which hadn't occurred to me but it makes a lot of sense like a 12-step okay. program like she's going through the through the motions of forgiving the people in her life
0: okay we'll see what happens that that scene did play very oddly and uh and so that that i would be surprised if we didn't get more with that at some point yes
2: at least it's the it's the best theory that i've seen uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be very interested to see if Weiner changed his storytelling mode at all, given that he knew they were going into a split season. Uh, or, I mean, I know that it's all it's all being shot together, but I'll be curious to see if he said it's it's a denser season than usual. As a result, I'll be surprised if that's really true.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see. Like I said earlier, I was pleasantly surprised to to be as pleasantly surprised by this episode and the return of. Uh, of this world and all of these characters, and I'm now I'm now I'm worried I'm going to miss the show when it's gone. I wasn't I know, missing it before. Uh,
2: well, you don't have to miss it for a while.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> Thanks,
2: AMC. But oh, and Stan is still wonderful.
0: Oh yes, my little Peggy Stan shipper heart did go pitter pat a little bit there in their scene.
2: I love that he doubled down on the beard.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. Well, uh, what? Sir, what was your week in drama this week?
2: I'm actually gonna give it to The Americans, but it was really nice to have Mad Men back.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, for me, it's it's The Americans and Mad Men or Good Wife, and I still think I gotta give it to Good Wife. I'm loving what they're doing right now, and I the way that they have Alicia just kind of crumple this week. We we very rarely see this kind of depiction of grief. Either it's like hysterics. Or or it's they get over something right away. So to see this kind of middle ground, uh, I, I think works really well. And I'm very excited about if if the end of the episode is what they do moving forward. I'm very excited about what that means for the rest of the season. And also we got more Finn. And I like I'm I like I like what they're doing and how they're incorporating Finn. I think that's much more interesting or promising than anything I would have come up with for how they were going to keep Matthew Good around. So. So, yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm, oh, and
2: Michael Serverus, We forgot to mention Michael Serverus. How did
0: we forget to mention Michael Cerverus? Love that they brought him in. Well, and yet another amazing addition to the, the Good Wife guest cast. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good with giving it to the Good Wife this week. All Americans right. was great, Mad Men was a lot of fun too, but Good Wife. Okay, a few show notes here before we go to our DVD show with Ricky D to talk about Queer as Folk, the UK version. You can find a post up for this episode at uh, soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of uh, the week's television. Just a few shows to get your, your feedback on. You can also like us in, on Facebook to follow the, the podcast and you know start up a conversation there. You can leave us a rating or review on iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love to get your feedback. Uh, you can also email us, theteleverse, at com. And, of course, you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at theteleverse, and Simon, you are?
2: At Sucker Howell.
0: And what is our question of the week?
2: Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about Parenthood and its troubles with an extended season length, and also, you know, we just talked about Mad Men and its split seasons. I'm I'm curious as to if there are any shows that people think should have a shorter or longer episode order.
0: And we're we're gonna take Parenthood off the table, right? Because that just seems yeah, too obvious. That's
2: way too obvious.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, let us know. That's a good question. Let us know. And then, of course, also please do if you have any any uh, words for Simon, words of encouragement on his great trip out to the uh the out of doors uh let let us know and uh, send send an email to televerse at gmail.com with your with your thoughts and uh, any mp3s or feedback you may have f-
2: feel free to also just tell me to f off that's <laughs> also a totally valid option
0: fair enough well we're going to take a break listen to a clip and some music and come back with ricky d our editor-in-chief at sound on site to talk about queer as folk
1: sometimes you get a good thursday sometimes you get a bog standard thursday sometimes you get a shit thursday this thursday was mental Thursday night in Babylon used to be 70s night, but they changed it. Thursday night is 90s night, which makes you feel ancient, thanks very much.
2: I spent all night chasing after some bloke who turns out to be mad. Like,
1: really mad. He had every episode of Juliet Bravo on tape. So, it's getting late, lights on. I haven't copped off. Phil's not copped off. And Stuart... Stuart's copped off. Oi, Vince! Wait there, don't move. Where are you going? You've copped off. No not I'm just getting his telephone number, that's all. What do you do? Swallow it. It'll be ten minutes. Wait for me. Wait for the chief. You've got to get me home. Wait for me. Now, sometimes you're halfway through a shag and you just get bored of him. So you wank him off in a doorway and move straight on. Because you keep on looking. That's why you keep going out. There's always some new bloke, some better bloke, just waiting around the corner.
0: And that was the night he came along.
1: The one night stand that never went away.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik joined as ever by Simon Howell and this week on the DVD shelf we're going back across the pond for another UK series. Very excited to talk about this one and joining us uh, is Ricky D. Ricky D, we're talking Queerest Folk UK.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Have you guys ever talked about a gay series before in the Televerse?
0: Well, I don't think we've talked about a show that would be specifically put into the category of, of queer cinema or, you know, of queer television. I guess we covered um, Looking week to week. If you want to Lump that in the same category.
1: Right, but I mean on like a, a spotlight section.
0: Like, DVD shelf? Back.
1: Yeah, DVD shelf.
0: No, I think this is our first. Simon?
1: Nothing
2: springs immediately to mind.
0: Oh, before I forget, of course, Ricky D is our general editor, editor-in-chief over at Sound On Sight. And welcome general back to Let the I podcast. Did. Thank you, Simon.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be back. Thank you for the invite once again.
0: So what made you want to talk about Queers Folk U- UK?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, I was pretty sure that you guys had never done an all LGBT kind of like series on the DVD shelf prior. So that's one reason. Um, I think also HBO's new series looking kind of made me want to go back and watch some of the old Queer as Folk episodes. Um, This show has a special place in my heart, not specifically the British series, which only lasted one season plus the two extra episodes, which they sort of count as season two, but we can get to that later on. Uh, But specifically the American version, I think I've watched the whole entire series of the American version four times, which is a lot of TV watching because it's like five seasons long. Uh, And I wanted to actually review the American version with you guys, but, you know, it's too long and we just don't have the time. So I figured why not start with the British series? It's only eight episodes of first season plus the additional two for the second season. I thought it was a, I don't know, a good way to start discussing gay characters on tv um and so yeah and also kate i mean i know you're a big doctor who fan (laughs) so (laughs) i'm sure if anything you got a kick out of the doctor who references and also just i don't know if you even knew who the the showrunner was prior but i mean um you know the fact that russell t davies went on to revive doctor who i believe uh, and also he's responsible for the spinoff show torchwood if i'm not mistaken so it just felt like the right choice
0: yeah, it was fun. I, I had heard uh that Russell T Davies uh, created Queer as Folk uh before, you I knew that he had done that prior to Doctor Who and I had heard rumblings about there being Doctor Who references in 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 his other work, you know, that does pop up. And uh and Boy, howdy! Are there Doctor Who references, and I love it. It was so much fun. I've seen each of the episodes or the stories that they reference in in the series, and so when they're talking about about you know the the one with the maggots, I'm like, oh, Seeds of Death. That was a really good one. No, that was the Green. <laughs> Sorry, no Doctor Who fans out the Who beans out there will get be mad at me. That's the Green Death, not Seeds of Death. Seeds of Death is something different. The Green Death, excellent episode, really creepy maggots. Uh, I had a lot of fun with with that element to the series, but I also had a lot of of fun with the show. And uh, for me, we'll talk about some of the more problematic elements with the (laughs) show, specifically the fact that one of the main characters is 15 and is in a sexual relationship to some extent with a 29-year-old. We'll talk about that. But uh, it was wonderful to 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 get to see particularly Aiden Gillen, who I've enjoyed so much on The Wire and currently on Game of Thrones in this earlier role, as well as Charlie Hunnam. I haven't really seen much of Sons of Anarchy, but I know there's, you know, he, there, he's a favorite of a specific set of the American uh, TV watching populace. So that was really fun. And then just, you know, the, I don't want to short shrift, uh, Craig Kelly, the other lead of the show, but I actually ended up having a lot of fun with this show. And, uh, I wasn't sure at first, given that whole, you know, one of our protagonists is 15 and having sex with somebody almost twice his age.
1: You know, what's really funny is I, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Queer as Folk, but I only watched the British version once prior to this week because I rewatch it to get prepared for this specific podcast. Right. I had no clue that it was Charlie Hunnan. I had no clue that was the same guy from Pacific Rim. You know, that Mm -hmm. that was the same actor from Sins and Anarchy. So looking back on it, I was like, holy shit. And then being reminded that he is 15 in the British version, because in the American version, the character's name is actually Justin. He plays Nate and he's 17. So they upped his age. Um, So, yeah, it was kind of shocking going back and watching it again, because I totally forgot about his age and about who the actor was that played the character of Nathan.
0: Now, I was curious if that was just my uh, puritanical Americanness ness making me uncomfortable. Simon, what was your reaction to that element of the pilot and the series as a whole?
2: Uh, well, first of all, I find it hilarious that this was what gave Charlie Hunnam his big break because now, you know, I've always thought of him as an actor who doesn't really have a whole lot of charisma, mostly because I think of him in Sons of Anarchy and, uh, by extension, kind of doing the same thing in Pacific Rim. And he's kind of like a bro icon because Sons of Anarchy, like you go to Walmart and the only two TV brands of underwear are Duck Dynasty and Sons of Anarchy. And, you know, I wonder how many Sons of Anarchy fans' minds would be blown if you were to show them a video of him being rimmed by Lord Baelish. (laughs) I know, right? Anyway, uh, but uh, to to get back to the to the issue of of his youth, I mean, isn't the age of
1: consent in Quebec fifteen, Ricky? Okay, but at the time in the UK, first of all, he was eighteen when he actually shot the scenes. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, we're, we're talking about the character, not the actor.
1: It came out when he. I mean, the show was released when he was nineteen and then twenty, but he was eighteen. But in terms of his actual age in the UK at the time, it was sixteen for straight heterosexual people it was 18 for homosexuals and so i'm not entirely sure if that's specifically why uh t davies decided to make him 15 honestly i had no problem with it because you know what i don't see people having problems with a teenage boy losing his virginity to an older woman in movies like the graduate or summer of 42 so it's just odd how everyone is so shocked and repulsed by the fact that in this TV show a fifteen year old boy loses his virginity to an older man, but it doesn 't matter if it would have if the, if, the, if the situation had been changed, you know again, bring it up to graduate in summer forty two and there's tons of movies where teenage boys lose their virginity to older women, like even in american pie it happens
0: first of all, first of all, the graduate he's at least graduated from high school if not currently in college he 's not fifteen there's there's a distinct difference there. And personally, I would have a problem with that in the same way. So don't speak for everyone with that.
1: Okay, so wait, you have a problem with it in real life or just seeing it in a TV show? Because these things happen in real life. So what's wrong with putting it in TV show?
0: Well, of course they happen in real life. The fact that, it, that it's not considered weird or, or that it's a, a glorified even part of 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 these interactions is strange to me. If any of my 15-year-old students were sleeping with a 29-year-old, I would be uh I would be not that excited about it and meaning I would be very concerned.
2: Well, no, it it it, it is it is widely considered weird on the
1: show though. I mean,
0: not by our leads it-
1: uh, no, I, agree, I disagree. I think by the main lead, the main character, it's not because Stewart's just a dick and he would sleep with just about anyone to him. It's just a prize, a one night stand. But I think everybody else on the show kind of feels like it's a little odd that they have this kid who's stalking them. But I mean, I mean, the thing about Queer career spoken, what I liked about the show is it's queer television with a capital Q. Like, I mean, to the point where Queer Spoke was actually titled Queer as Fuck during production, like, that is what they wanted to title the show. They wanted this thing to be, and I'm not saying it's 100% realistic and that's how all gay people are, but they didn't want sort of like a Will and Grace type of scenario. Like, Will and Grace is a show that, you know, some people find funny, but kind of personally annoys me because it's considered a gay show But they will never, ever have the two gay characters on the gay show ever say kiss a man or show them romantically involved, hold hands. Never. But you'll see Grace. You'll see Grace kiss her leading man. And so the thing about this show, and that's why I really appreciate it, is because it was all in your face. It wasn't holding back, and it wasn't apologizing for it. And in terms of, like, going back to Nate, like, I'm sorry, like, you know, I don't know how personal I should get here, but it's funny watching the show at a later age because I can sort of relate to being on both sides of the spectrum, being a younger teenage boy, meeting an older man, and then later in life, meeting uh, being older and, and meeting someone who's in like, their teens, like 18, 19. So I kind of like see it from both perspectives. And yes, he's 15, and I'm not saying I would go sleep with a 15-year-old boy and that it's right. But I mean, showing it on a television show, I don't see a problem with it because we see far worse things shown on television on a weekly basis. I mean, can we talk about rape, for example, (laughs) on like, uh, you know, television shows that air at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, prime time. And like, I mean, there's so many worse things that we see on TV. And the thing about Nate is that he sort of represents that teenage boy who does get out of the closet. He does fight back to some degree. He does sort of seek out the lifestyle that he wants. And I kind of uh, admire it because when I was a teenage boy and I went to the village for the first time, I had I actually for the first three times, I had some really terrible experiences that put me right back in the closet. And I never actually had the courage to actually fully come out. So I kind of admire Nate. And I don't think there's anything actually wrong with his character. I mean, yeah, he's kind of cocky and, you know, he's not exactly like the nicest or coolest person in the world. But still, like I do like his character and I had no problem with him being 15 at all. Well, and... On the, the show.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, like, there are 15-year-olds, and then there are 15-year-olds, and, Ricky, you kind of hinted at this, but, like, yes, he's 15, he's very young, and I I will I reconfirm that multiple times in the show other people do find it totally weird, uh, including our co-lead uh, near the end of the series uh, is offered a, a threesome with Nate, and he's like, nah, no thanks. But, uh, you know, he's... Uh like like Ricky said, Leo, he's he is trying to he's maybe overcompensating and coming out of his shell, but he has a very good idea of what he wants and what he doesn't want. He's also reacting against what's going on at school. And throughout that first series, you know, there's many examples of him being more self possessed than many of the adults around him. So I think that they you can call that lampshading if you want, but uh personally, after a while I stopped being so creeped out by it, I guess.
0: Yeah and that's true for me too. That's true to my experience. And basically around the time when uh when uh, Nathan meets uh Hazel and she's like, "Oh, we like Nathan. Nathan can stay." That's pretty much how I felt about it. I was like, "I like the character right away." I, and and It's so interesting, like you talked about, uh, Simon, that this Charlie Hunnam is a character who can come off, at least for me, at times as very wooden, because he's so engaging in this. He's completely engaging in this. Uh, But I liked him from the first episode, but I just was uncomfortable because of that age and because it didn't feel like Stuart and and nathan and yes to some ex- they give they give Stuart a little bit of a hard time the rest of the characters about sleeping with the 15 year old eh, not that much uh the, the the parents do have more of a negative reaction of course but mm-hmm. in general you know our, our leads are just really comfortable and okay with that and you know what that this is a thing that i'm sure does happen uh so i just had to kind of get past that and so around the time when 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 hazel's like oh yes yes we like we like nathan i was like you know what i do too and i and i'm good with the the group dynamic for me it really works
1: well there's something you got to remember especially back in the day like maybe not so much now because you know gay is a common thing now in mainstream media and like in high schools kids come out at earlier ages without necessarily being worried about it depending on where you live of course but i mean Even, like, way back in 1999, 2000, it was a big thing to come out of the closet in high school. And the truth is that a lot of high school kids, if they do have their first sexual experience with, uh, you know, another man, most likely it's going to be somebody older because society doesn't let them open up. It's not like you're going to have a boyfriend in high school. You're going to go out seeking gay lifestyle and maybe sex and or boyfriend or whatever in the weirdest places. It could be chat rooms. It could be in the village. It can be, like, in nightclubs. That's where you know, men are forced to go look for this kind of thing. So for me, it's kind of completely realistic to see this 15-year-old boy pick up an older man, and that's his first time experience. I mean, the slogan of the show was no victims, no martyrs, no role models. And I don't think that the showrunner ever really was concerned about issues. He was never really concerned about what LGBT activists would think. He was never concerned about what conservatives would think. He just wanted to do to create a show that he felt was realistic and i think it's very groundbreaking and i think in some ways it's honest and portrays a certain aspect of gay lifestyle like i'm not saying that every single gay person i know is like the characters in queer folk but there's a good chunk of gay guys i know that are like the characters in, in queer folk and no show was willing to present that that area of you know the gay village like those characters Again, it was always like the cute, sort of like funny he's gay, but you know he doesn't really look gay or whatever kind of character which you would see in like a, a television American sitcom. I just like the fact that Russell T Davies was never worried about pandering to the masses or special interest groups; he was just portraying an on he was just he was just giving us an honest portrayal of these specific characters uh and again, like I know a lot of these characters, and the thing is. The American version is a, is the version I really wanted you guys to watch because I really do feel that in the American version, despite the fact that in many ways it's not as good as the British uh, series, um, it does humanize the characters a lot more. They just do a much better job in the American version in humanizing these characters and making them out to be people and not just sex objects. Um, and I think, to be fair, the British version wasn't necessarily going for that kind of portrayal of these characters. But at the same time, it also didn't really have the time because, like, again, he only... Uh, completed one full season
0: well and you say that but for me the british series does a great job of making these people and i actually i really appreciate the portrayal of Stuart. i love that they don't just make him one thing yes he's a dick but Mm -hmm. that also comes from someplace and it, it definitely makes sense when you get you get a sense of his family but you also get a sense of his different experiences in his life i i feel like he's a person who comes from a certain experience and is and is shaped has been shaped by various things in his life that has made him who he is along with of course his personality but i felt very strongly that that was a rounded, interesting kind of character. Simon, how was that for you? Did he feel more like a trope or more like a person?
2: It varies. And actually, that's a huge thing about Queer as Folk to me, is that uh, I I hadn't heard Davey's credo for the show before, which I think is fantastic, and probably the, the best thing I've heard about it so far. What I find interesting and strange and perplexing about the show is that there are times when it feels like it's angling for social realism, and then other times when it's happy to have its characters be archetypes, or it's happy to just indulge in utter fantasy. Uh, But in terms of Stewart specifically, I think, first of all, uh, Aiden Gillen is fantastic. I think it's actually, of the three big performances I've seen him do between this and The Wire and Game of Thrones, I think it's actually his strongest. And he, I mean, we hate, we're so sick of antiheroes on TV, and he kind of fits that mold to some degree, because he is such an asshole, But Gillen just makes his his portrayal is so intense and so charming at the same time that you also kind of want to let him off the hook quite a lot. Uh, And I agree with you, Caden, that I I think they do a great job of over time, especially illustrating the rage and the insecurity that's simmering just under the surface, especially the rage near the end. um, And that's sort of powering these encounters but uh, just, to, but, but to be a little bit negative, uh, I do think that the, uh, the ending of the series is terrible. Can I just get there now? It's, wait, wait, wait <laughs>
1: which, which ending are you talking about? Because now here's a little secret. I never, ever watched the last two episodes, season two. I just refused to watch the last two episodes. So in my eyes, Queer as Folk, the British version, ends on the eighth episode of season one, where Nathan and his best friend head to London, head to the big city. And that's all I need to know.
0: Why? Why would you refuse to watch 20% of the series?
1: Because the thing is, is from my understanding, when they went into season two, they had planned to do a full out season. I think they even uh, offered to extend the series to like 10 episodes instead of eight. And there was like so much controversy. There was like a tabloid storm. Um, I think it was the Daily Mail printed this really like, critical article about the show. You know, they went into about how they weren't happy about the fact that Nathan was, like, 15 years old, and then all of a sudden there was, like, thousands of articles, like, that popped up everywhere online and whatnot, and they basically just repeated what the Daily Mail said. It was, like, all of these critics, didn't have their own opinion. They were just, like, mirroring what this one critic in the Daily Mail said. So it was, like, all kinds of controversy. Uh, I think The Guardian actually... uh, (laughs) review the first episode but instead of putting the arts and entertainment section they published it in the news section because they thought it was like news (laughs) so that was interesting but um you know sponsors started pulling out and the lgbt community was protesting stonewall denounced the show and so on and so forth um so the thing is Russell t davies was kind of just annoyed with the controversy and the fuss and i think he he personally decided that he didn't want to continue the story he wanted it to end the way it ended but the thing is, I had already watched the American version. And now the thing about the American version and the British version is the first two episodes are pretty much exactly the same. Like plot-wise, the premiere, and, which the premiere, by the way, is a double episode in the American version. So basically the first two episodes are a carbon copy of the first two episodes of the Britcom. Then it kind of goes and veers in different directions. The ending, the final episode of season one of the American version, without spoiling for anybody, is amazing. It's one of my favorite season finales of all time. So the thing is, when I watch the American version, knowing how the characters change and seeing the relationship between Justin and Brian and comparing it to the relationship between Stuart and Nate in the British version, um, I just wanted to have that sort of. Closure. Like, I, I can't spoil it for you guys, but basically, I like the idea of Nathan going into London and I don't know, exploring the city and starting a new life. Like, I I did not want to see a repeat of what we get in the American version. So, like in my head, Nathan is somewhere in London and he did really good for himself. It was hard at first, but you know, at the end of the day, he powered through and he's doing good in life. And that's just what I personally prefer.
0: I think you'll like the end of the. The, I think you'll like those two episodes then. Because.
1: No. Why do you? He... Everyone says it's terrible. Everyone says it's terrible. I only oh. want to know what it is. I don't okay, know. Okay,
2: well, to, to be clear, um, those final two episodes are really just sort of long special. It's not all bad. Actually, it's mostly good. It's mostly the, very good. Uh, it's mostly quite good. It's just the last uh, 15 to 20 minutes is outrageously terrible. That's what I hear. That's why I refuse okay, to watch it. I
0: need to hear more. I need, You can't just say it's terrible. Why is it terrible? What don't you like about it?
2: Why is it terrible? Okay, well, first of all, you know I am not a fan of rom-com tropes, uh, at least not in when they're presented in undiluted format. So we get a chase to the airport, which is, or, you know, the equivalent, which is quite possibly my least favorite storytelling trope of all time. Then we get this... Just horrendously dated uh, sequence in the in the village with you know what I'm talking about where day turns to night and it just completely changes style in the most horrendous fashion possible and then we get this insane Thelma and Louise bit which uh, how you're going to defend this now?
0: I think, <laughs> well first of all I would say that I think if the reason you stopped at the end of season one, Ricky, was because you wanted the characters to be in that kind of a place, like a headspace and a place in their lives, I think you'll have no problem with these two episodes. As for the ending, yes, it's very cheesy, and yes, I would not have gone for the, you know, the montage over the credits kind of ending, but I think it fits with this idea of the characters being, uh, at times, more archetype than actual person, larger-than-life characters, which certainly I would say each of these uh, main characters fall into and yeah it's cheesy and kind of stupid but you know what uh as much as i love dr who and as much as there are things that i absolutely love about the doc the russell t davies years or era of dr who uh particularly my all-time favorite companion donna noble who he created you know he, he never really stuck the landing in in his seasons it was very rare in for those seasons to actually i think each of his four seasons didn't really quite stick the landing in the, the right way great build up great character development great uh great great uh ideas and uh, in, uh emphasis on character over plot in in a wonderful way but then the the big climactic special finale didn't quite come together the way that it should so i, I wasn't surprised by that and uh and i and i don't mind a nice chase to the airport every now and again, so there's that I element as don't. well
1: so the thing about. <laughs> The British version, when I see the character of Nathan Maloney played by Charlie Hunnam, it, in my eyes, that character, realistically, when he steps into Babylon, he is the he is the guy that's going to get all the attention. He is the guy that's going to have everyone turning their head and looking his way. He is the guy that's going to have guys chasing after him, not just because he's young and boyish, but he's a pretty good-looking dude. Now, not to say that Aidan Gillen, who plays Stuart Allen Jones, is a terribly... I mean, he's he's a pretty good-looking dude too. But realistically, I think that if those two guys were to enter a club, it would be Nathan that would actually get the attention. And the thing about and that's season two. Okay, but here's the thing. See, I never watched season two, so maybe you're right. Maybe I'll like it. But I just did not ever want to see Nathan continue the chase after Stuart. I just thought Nathan was so much better and could be so much better and could do so much better than Stuart. So I just always imagined Nathan going off on his own and not relying on this 30-year-old man who he would chase after and stalk and do whatever he needs to do in order to win his love. And I just prefer to watch season two. That's pretty much exactly what happens. Oh, okay, maybe I'll like it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now I'm really angry, Kate. (laughs) <laughs> but 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 seriously, Aiden Gillen is so much better than the actor who plays Brian in um in the American version.
0: More than that though, I don't I just, for me it's I haven't seen the American version. I look forward to catching up with it so we can talk about it at a future D V D shelf. But I don't think that necessarily Aiden Gillen's performance is better than just the American version. This is a better performance of this kind of a character uh, that I've than I've seen most of the time, this kind of a character pops up, and often you see this character in as as the, a straight guy, ladies man, in 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 different rom coms and stuff. So I think it's a really great performance, and I'm with you, Simon. I think it's the best of his three, and it was so funny watching this. I could see in watching this, I was like, oh yeah, I could see how somebody watched Queers folk and was that guy. We need that guy to be Littlefinger. Because there's an embracing of chaos and of uh, and there's just the energy in that performance is wonderful.
1: Yeah, no, he's fantastic. That's what I'm saying. The, the the British cast is fantastic. Every single character in this show is compelling. Like even even the character Phil, who doesn't last very long. I mean, we don't get much screen time with that character, but the actor does such a brilliant job. And um, so yeah, I mean, I just like I think this is a fantastic show. I'm just I'm sorry to bring up the American version, but he kind of have to if you watch both um so yeah and also Fair like enough. I love the look of the the series like I, I just love the cinematography it sort of has like this dreamy like imagery if that makes any sense and I love the soundtrack and it's funny because I was talking to Simon like last week and I was like oh you know the American version has a better soundtrack but I had only rewatched one episode at that point in time when I talked to Simon and then after watching all eight episodes of the first season I'm like no the soundtrack for this like british series is fantastic
2: well okay let's be clear the soundtrack is fun although probably not as much fun if you're british because it's mostly stuff that you would have heard a million times before but you know you've got some you've got a lot of pulp and
1: suede and stuff like that
2: but the actual soundtrack is really annoying <laughs>
1: No, uh, I, I disagree. I'm, I'm good with it. I think the soundtrack, first of all, is great. Like you, you mentioned pulp, like opening up with that song from pulp was fantastic, but it's the kind of music that you would hear at the time, specifically in gay clubs. Even if it was from the 70s, 80s, 90s, or what have you, it's exactly what you would hear in those surroundings. I thought they'd pick the perfect tracks for each and every single episode
0: well and it's infectious and fun for me I, I watched these as a marathon i just went one to the next to the next to the next and i had time i didn't need to do that but i wanted to click on to the next episode and and, and you know put in the next dvd and for me i the, the the just the feel of you know where they spend a lot of their time at the di- these different clubs but also just you know the the aesthetic touches like you were saying ricky they really worked to to get me into this world and to you know there's a joie de vivre with this show that i really appreciate and that makes it infectious
1: mm-hmm. i also yeah. love the way the first episode ends when he just shows up at his school in the jeep and then the side of the jeep you see the word um now in the in the british version was it fag or queer i forget what it was. Written on.
2: it was queers yeah you mentioned the lightness of tone, Caden. Just quickly, I wanted to to say, you know, the that bit about no martyrs in uh, Davies's credo, I think, uh, is really well reflected in 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 the outcome of uh, of, of Phil and sort of what happens in the, in the mid season there. And you know, there's, I feel like any other series would have taken that as an opportunity to get really dark and and self reflective and you know, really look at some issues. And nope, there is none of that.
0: Yeah. Does not get didactic, which is very much appreciated. Do we want to talk about any of the other characters quickly? We're running out of time here. Uh, I I loved the, the whole group with Hazel, and every, I like that they showed very different reactions to the various characters' home lives, and I like that we did get that, uh, that supportive mother figure in at least one of their relationships.
2: I love all the moms. I think they're great, and I especially love you know, near the end when they sort of just all start to get together and hang out uh, the, the
1: cop punching near the end
2: was a bit much, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, fair enough. I, I'll give you that. How about Alexander?
1: Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed watching his character. I just absolutely hate his character and despise him. He's just so incredibly annoying. Um, but like the thing is, I, I would be curious to know how or what would have happened to these characters had they continued the series and gone on to do like five seasons because I think they would have really done wonders with his character because we do get glimpses of him at certain times showing why he is the way he is like there's one there's this one specific scene which I'll never forget where he's sitting on a bench on the street corner with his friends and his parents walk by and they completely ignore him even though he calls out to them several times and like so you know he's this rich kid and he's snobby and he's a total prick and he's kind of annoying but he's also kind of funny but you kind of feel bad for him because you can kind of understand why he is the way he is and it comes with his bad parenting and and so, but my favorite character is Vince. I mean, Vince Tyler. I mean, it's not just the fact that he's like this total geek and he'll he'll prefer to sit at home and watch like sci-fi movies than go to a club, but he's just such a nice guy. And I love his, I, I love the the uh, relationship between him and Stuart Jones, but also the chemistry be- between the, the two actors, Greg Kelly and Aidan Gillen. Like, I, I really believe that Vince was actually secretly in love with Stuart. And I think- I actually believe that Stuart deeply cared about Vince, but for whatever reason, they will never be a couple. Um, season so I like... two.
0: Uh, I'm uh, sorry, really. I keep going. And with Alexander too, there's lots of great stuff with Alexander and his parents in season two as well. But I agree with you, and I love that with with that Vince character, we get to the end and the happy ending of season one, at least for for Vince is like, woohoo! Pathetic, sad, unrequited love is the best because that's more who I am comfortable being. I think I love that. It's just it's nice and bittersweet and it goes again no heroes no martyrs it's it's great yeah that
2: was that was pretty great
0: and i love that they don't make it all of a sudden stewart and comes to his senses and realizes that this great guy is been here this whole time i love that they don't do any of that annoying uh rom-com cliche they go a different way with it they make stewart very aware of Vince. they make you know they have him push him away because you know there's because there's all this other hang up to it and i like that in the season two they do address this whole they've been friends for 16 years and they've been kind of you know there's been some sexual tension building and they've just kind of been playing around with it but they also both know they've been friends for 16 years they don't want to screw that up and they know the likelihood of that being screwed up is really high uh, so I, just the way it handles that i think is really interesting
2: yeah i think they kind of sell that out near the end but i agree
0: <laughs> interesting
1: hmm. okay you know now i gotta go and watch like season two and hopefully one day we can talk about the american version i can just quickly give you guys my opinion on the ending of queer as folk the british yeah. version because um, you have me curious
0: well, do we have any final thoughts on on queer's folk, any any uh, elements that we haven't touched on yet? It is a, uh,
2: you know, it Ricky you mentioned that uh watching looking made you want to check this out and they are it's really interesting to to contrast them because I I could be totally wrong, but I feel like this was probably the first gay series to not be sort of a social issue series um uh, that I'm aware of anyway. And Looking kind of, t- kind of does the same thing, only in a much more low-key way. So you can definitely see them as kind of, you know, different steps on the same evolutionary ladder.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm kind of a fan of Looking. I mean, I wasn't, you know, happy with the first, like, four episodes and a main character. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what its show creator, I think it's uh, Michael Lannon, right, the created Looking. I think that's what he's basically going for. He's going for Queer spoke Folk for, like, the new generation. Um, I still think that uh, the original British version is far better than looking so far, because I just think that I, I don't know. I find the characters a lot more interesting. I think the show is a lot more fun to watch. And you talk about low key. I think looking is extremely low key, maybe to its fault. Um, I like the fact that in Queer as we do get to see these extravagant, amazing, incredible locations like Babylon, like some of the clubs and restaurants they go to. And, and we get a, we get out of say like the typical, I don't know, apartment or club or whatever. Like, you know, like in every show, there's like one or two or three sets in which they have in each and every single episode because that's where the characters meet and saves them on their budget, right? And and Queer as Folk, I mean, they must have spent a lot of money making the show because it looks beautiful and they, they do head out into the city. And, you know, even like the funeral episode, I love the funeral episode. I love the exchange between Phil's mom and Vince and what she says to Vince and the expression on Vince's face when he realizes what she says. And how, you know, Phil was left dead in the apartment for four days and nobody found him. And it's kind of depressing to think about how, you know, Phil was such a nice guy, but he was single and had no one in his life. And when he dies, there's no one there to even realize that the guy's been missing for days. Like, that's kind of heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Just the fact that Vince was kind of Phil's steward. I like that that, that they throw that in there, but uh, they don't feel the need to, like, hit you over the head with it either. I like that, you know, the... And then then all this the time spent on well, we just went out to clubs. It's like, yeah, but I mean, what do you what do you do with your friends? That that is those who those that is what you do with your friends. And so you were friends, even though you he's you know, Vince tries to distance himself and say, Oh, well, we weren't really that close mm-hmm. and then, you know, having to And even just the way that each of the characters, when like the parents, when they're talking about how you know their kids coming out, you know the we don't get this from Hazel, but we do get it from some of the other parents. Are like, well, the first thing you assume is, well, they're never going to have a family, and they're never going to have this other stuff. And and the way that attitudes have changed towards uh, towards people being coming out, and also just gay gay couples and families and all that since the time that this show came out it's just, it's really, it's really heartening. So I, I love the, the sort of the, you know, the, it, they don't really spend the time. Cause again, this is not an issues show. They mm-hmm. don't spend the time exploring that element, but it's, but it's there if you want to think about it.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. And that's why it's so interesting looking back on the show now, because I watched the show when it first came out and, you know, I mean, just the idea of knowing that, yeah, you can get married, and I have friends who are gay that have kids. Like, you know, like it's everything's just completely changed, and it hasn't been that long. I mean, like, I guess 15 years is somewhat of a long time to some degree, but it just feels like, you know, like going back to looking, like what some of the issues and characters and and things that you would see and, look and you wouldn't have seen in Queer Spoke back in 1999. And I also just want to point out that anyone that says that oh, this show is only about gay men who only want to have sex has not seen the whole entire season. Because clearly clearly they don't know Vince, the character, very well. They probably never got around to watching Cameron pop in. I mean, Cameron was that, you know, the gay guy who just wanted to, like, settle down and get married and have a family. Like, there, there is more than just the one character like Stuart who wants to go to a club at each and every single night, get drunk and get late. Like, you know, so I just feel like a lot of the criticisms were from critics who watched the very first episode and they automatically denounced the show as being this serious about gay men who just want to have sex. And that's all, that's it. Because the thing is, it's funny because when the first episode aired, the reviews were all negative. And then when the season was over, the very same critics gave it positive reviews. And um, I think this was also like the best selling TV box set when it was released, like in 2000. So it just, it's kind of mind blowing to, to think that Russell T Davies actually decided to stop the show. Like it's his own creation. He created it. He was pretty successful. And then he just, de- he decided to just stop like it's mind blowing.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this is one of the favorite shows that I've discovered on the DVD shelf. I had a lot of fun with it. And also, again, it's, it's eight episodes and then two eight half hour episodes and then two kind of like hour long basically a two hour special for season two you can watch it in a long over like a long day or a weekend or something and, mm-hmm. and really catch up with the show so i had a lot of fun with it and it's probably one of my top five discoveries from the dvd show so thank you ricky
1: who's your favorite character in the show
0: the most interesting character for me is Stuart, uh, the journey that he goes through over the course of the series, I would say. But mm-hmm. I, I really think the group dynamic is what makes, makes it work. Vince by himself could be so obnoxious, but, but the way, you know, what he brings out in the other characters and what they bring out in him, I think the, the whole ensemble feel of it is what makes it really work for me. Uh, Simon, favorite character?
2: Uh, you know, I I would definitely co-sign on all that, and I, I I again, the character of Stewart could have been so badly bungled either through uh, underdeveloped writing or acting, and I think uh, Davies and Gillen together just make magic with that with that character. As much as I you know I have some misgivings about where the show ends up, I think that they they do eke out some really interesting and distinct territory there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Stewart's by far the best character, most interesting, and I like the fact that he's just so honest about who he is and just does not care what you think about him as a person and his like again his chemistry with the whole entire cast like just watching him hold the little baby um you know what i mean like he just Mm -hmm. showed different signs of this man like the actor did such a good job aiden gillen and uh he's by far my favorite character of the series i think had they cast the wrong person in the role this show would have fallen apart
0: Would not have worked, and he also he makes you see why they still hang out with this guy, which which is crucial for this kind of a character.
1: Well, and yeah, I totally agree because I mean the guy is intriguing. Like I would hang out with Stewart Jones, you know. Like Mm -hmm. I mean he's an interesting fella. So
0: yeah, well thank you Ricky so much for coming back on the DVD shelf. Where can our listeners find your work online?
1: Uh, soundinsight.org i'm actually writing a review of the american version pilot and the british version the pilots um because as some of you may know uh we're looking back at the 100 greatest tv pilots pilots ever made and so yeah soundinsight.org and of course you can uh, follow me on twitter at sound
0: thank you again so much for coming on thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse